Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Bill's lesson today is in Matthew, chapters 1 and 2, titled, Christmas, Silent Joseph. Good morning. How are things? Things are good? I hope so. We're going to be studying some things today. If you're with us last time, we began looking at a familiar story. Uh, the Christmas story, uh, unfortunately, it seems that the things that are most familiar with us, sometimes we have these mental blocks about what actually is said and what actually is taught. And uh, looked last time at Mary and maybe some things we hadn't thought about her. And today we're going to be looking at her husband, uh, Joseph, uh, major players in the Christmas pageant, if you will. And we need to know uh, what their parts are are. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, God's great adventure and how he used uh, lives like Mary and Joseph to be, uh, I would suggest you should be very influential on us. So the cast of characters of the story of Christmas is uh, colorful, uh, memorable, many glorious parts. We have angels, right? We talked about that with the, with the children. Uh, angels all over the place announcing uh, John's birth and then announcing uh, Jesus's uh, uh, conception and then speaking to Joseph and then the Jesus's birth of course in in Bethlehem the major uh, shocker there to the shepherds and then of course Mary plays a major part her dramatic role of accepting God's will for her life we looked at last time and then she sings this beautiful hymn of praise and of course all the parts that she plays and then uh, then we have the drama of the wise men traveling for more than a year from somewhere in the e far east traveling to the near east and uh, coming and asking the question, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? And so it's all just this drama, uh, beautiful story and pageantry of, of God bringing his son Jesus uh, into the world. And then there's Joseph. What does Joseph do? Uh, where's his speaking part? Where's his hymn of praise? Where's his soundbite? Where's his famous... Where's his famous speech, his famous words? Uh, you can look, but I can tell you it's not there. Not a single word in the Bible attributed to Joseph. Now, I don't think he was a deaf mute by any means. I'm just saying the Holy Spirit didn't see a reason for us to hear anything from his mouth. We hear a lot from his life, but didn't see any reason for us to hear anything from his mouth. And I, I find it interesting. It was an interesting story I read recently of a Christmas pageant. Uh, had to do with the whole issue of Joseph not having a speaking part. There was a, the young man, the little boy that was playing the part of Joseph in uh, his children's Christmas uh, pageant one, one Christmas. Uh, he fell ill uh, Saturday night. Sunday morning was supposed to be the Christmas pageant. And so the mom calls the, the, the children's director and says, you know, little Johnny, he can't come. He's sick. He can't be. I don't know what y'all are going to do. And she was like, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? We're going to do. And they began to look at the, you know, the role of Joseph through the, the pageant. And, yeah. Joseph doesn't say anything, so they just wrote him out. <laughs> so they had the whole pageant with, of course, you know, the focus of the pageant is Jesus, obviously the Son of God, the most important thing. Mary, the wise men, the animals, the, the, the shepherds, all that thing, Joseph wasn't there. Very few people actually noticed because Joseph, what does he do? Besides stand behind Mary in the manger scene, what, 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 what part does he play? Uh, what it almost be inclined to think that, like they did, the show could go on without him. Is is he the fifth wheel, you know, in the in the Christmas story? Who is Joseph? What can we know about him? Well, I want to introduce you to him. I'm going to call him for your for our sakes, Joe. Let's 
He's just a good old guy. Uh, Joe was a guy, what can we know about him? By the way, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, uh, if, if you didn't know. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 here in just a bit. Who is Joe? Well, there's lots of things we can know about him. Most of them are inferred or are taught by the Scriptures in some way. First of all, we know that he was a manual laborer. He was, this, we call him a carpenter. By the way, the Scripture doesn't actually say that. Scripture says that he's a tecton, which is a, the Greek word for a builder. What is a builder? person who builds stuff. And so we have interpreted it's our, that, that he's a carpenter in our understanding is an actually Western interpretation. Because typically a builder in the West, what's our typical building materials? Yeah, wood. Most of your house, most of this building is made out of wood. Most of our rafters, all these things are made out of wood. In the West, we build out of wood. And so in English, when we interpreted Joseph, who he is, when it says tecton, he's a builder, he must be a person that works with wood. In the Near East, wood is a very precious commodity. Joseph is a blue-collar worker. He works for blue-collar people. He builds the cheapest buildings you could possibly build. Guess what the most pro- pro- prolific uh, instrument of building was and that still is today? Rocks. So if anything, if you're going to say, uh, if accurately going to speak of Joseph, you probably not to say that he didn't work with wood, but probably more often than not, he's building from stone. He's a stonemason. He's a, he's a bricklayer. He's a brick-and-mortar guy. Uh, that's what really, if we can interpret him correctly, that's what he does. Again, not to say that he didn't work with wood, but it would have been rare. Uh, wood was a precious commodity. I know I'm just slamming all of your ideas of what happens at Christmas time, but there was no such thing as wooden mangers. You did not feed your animals out of something made out of wood. I know that messes with all your manger scenes and all your Christmas pageants and all that stuff, but that wood is precious. I don't feed, slot my, they wouldn't have hogs, but slot my cows or my sheep or my donkeys out of a, a piece of wood. You carved it out of stone. You travel with us to Israel, you'll be able to see there's mangers all over the place. Most of the excavations, they, one of the things they excavate, because animals were, agriculture was, was a big deal, most of the places you go, you find there's a proliferation of mangers. They're about the size of this table. They're made of solid stone because stone's everywhere. You could carve a hole in the ground, make a, make a manger. You could carve a, 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 a big stone block and make a, make a low place in it. So Jesus being laid in a manger wouldn't have been laid in any kind of wood, you can be sure. It would have been cold stone. Joseph is a worker with stone. We can know several things about him. Number one, we know it's from Nazareth. We know he's poor. We know he's... He's married to or going to marry Mary. Another thing you may not know about him is that his whole family, his whole lineage is under a curse. So David, we know very clearly in the Scriptures, is a descendant of David. So he's a descendant of the kings. So why is he a blue-collar worker in a backwater community like Nazareth? They're not, not on the way to nothing. There's no money in Nazareth. There's no influence in Nazareth. You want to know why? one of the reasons why when Joseph comes back into, the, into Israel after the baby Jesus is born and, and the angel warns him not to go to Bethlehem but to go back to Nazareth because Nazareth is not on anybody's map. It's about the safest place you could possibly be. It's in the middle of absolutely nowhere in that culture in that day. So what is a descendant of Joseph doing in that kind of place? Born and raised there. So was Mary, both descendants of Joseph. What, what happened? What, what happened to the line of Joseph? Well, he's from underneath a curse 
And I want to show you that curse. So he's a descendant of David. Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 28 through 30, talks about one of his ancestors, this guy, Coniah. Actually, his real name was Jeconiah, but this is God. When he takes the J-E out of the name, he, God's taking every person, not every, most people name their kids with God in the name somehow. And God told you his opinion of Jeconiah by taking the God part of the name out. I'm not, he's not going to call himself by my name. This is David's direct heir or lineage. I'm sorry, Joseph's direct lineage. So, so David is, a, is an heir or is the ancestor of Joseph. But between Joseph and David is uh, this piece of work. Look, look at him. Look at what God has to say about him. And this is, is this man, Coniah, despised, shattered jar? And the answer is yes. God speaking. Definitely is. Or is he an undesirable vessel? Why have he and his descendants been hurled out? He. This is what the Lord says. Write this man down childless, a man who will not prosper in his days, for no man among his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. Why was the line of David in this kind of state? Because this guy. So before you do something stupid, Think about your kids. No kidding. Think about your grandkids. Think about your heirs. I'm, I'm of a line of, I received a lot of blessings in my line of lineage because I have people that make good decisions to follow God and serve him, and I'm very grateful for that. But I also understand that I can mess the whole thing up. You know that you can, right? So you, you've inherited great spiritual blessings from your ancestors and the things that they've taught you and the places you've been raised and the things you've inherited from maybe spiritual ancestors, not just physical ancestors. You can mess it all up. Just be a big knothead like Coniah was there, which is, you know, just rebelling God every way he possibly could. And you can mess it up for a lot of people, which, of course, he did. So that's another thing you need to know about Joseph that we can know. But given all that's against him spiritually... And also know that Joe was, he did pretty good for himself. I want us to think together, again, reading between the lines, just adding up at the things that are inferred in Scripture about this man. He may, not, may have been a low class, at least financially speaking, but he was the top 1%, or maybe less, spiritually speaking. Who does he marry? Yeah, the, the only woman picked by God to give birth to his son. Now, that's a pretty high class of a woman right there. He's, you know, of the, of the, of the, uh, the plethora of women out there, he makes a really good choice, don't you agree? And so in addition to that, he becomes the, so, so, so God only picks one woman to give birth to his son. He only picks one man to be the earthly father of that son, and that guy's name is Joe. We don't really need to know a whole lot else. This guy is up there. Now, he doesn't have a speaking part, but he obviously, we can read between the lines and know this is a class dude. This is a great guy. This is a spiritual giant. So he's not only the adopted father of Jesus, God's son, he also has two other full-blooded sons who are very spiritual, big, hit, heavy hitters. Uh, he and Mary, of course, she doesn't remain a virgin. They have a number of kids. I don't know if that's a new one for you or not, but you need to know that's what the Scriptures teach. They had Among those kids, they had a guy by the name of James, a son, full-blood son of both of them. James becomes, you know him, James becomes the first pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. The apostles are underneath him. He writes the book of James in your Bible. That's Joe's kid. 
Not just one of them, so it's not just Jesus, it's not just James. He also has, they have another full son by the name of Judas who writes a book in your Bible, the book of Jude. So two out of maybe five or six of your kids write books in the Bible and you tell me that you're not that great of a person. I don't think so. I think you are. I think you are. I think he's a special guy. I think we, have, we stand to learn a lot from him, and he owes a lot, we owe him a lot of our respect. And one of the most respectful things about him, what does he do with his life? Oh, he's a college, you know, he's a worldwide preacher, and uh, he writes thousands of books, and he lectures on all kinds of theological topics, and right? Wrong. He has all this money and all this power and all this influence. Wrong. What does he do? He, for, the whole, for his whole life, for the most part. He's a husband, he's a father, and he's a manual laborer. That's it. That's it. We really don't know anything about, else about him. This is, all, this is all that he did. In our world today, even though we should know better, we put a high mark on those who seem to be ultra achievers. And we, we don't think about these guys. But it's these guys and gals, the, the bread and butter, if you will, of our world that are really making the difference. So, so what else did Mary do besides have a bunch of kids? Nothing. Nothing. What did Joseph do besides have kids and work, work his fingers to the bone and, and basically, as far as we know, was dead before Jesus entered his ministry 33 years later? Nothing. He didn't do anything else. He didn't need to do anything else. Look at his kids. Say, well, he's not a heavy hitter. Oh, yes, he is. Through his descendants, he has a lot of influence over us. So you need to know who this guy is. In fact, we can say, how do we know him? Well, we can know him through his son, James. We can know him through his son, Judas. We can know him through, through his, in some ways, through his son, uh, Jesus. He spends a lot of time doing stuff that we consider to be not worth much, and nevertheless it is. Indeed it is. But before all this, Joe has faced some really hard decisions. And I want us to consider that together and the lessons that we can learn of how he handled himself. Wouldn't it be great to have an awesome Christmas season? Wouldn't it be wonderful to meet with your family and there be no issues and no problems and you don't have any issues and you're not sad and people aren't mad at each other? And Wouldn't that be great? Sometimes, sometimes that works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Joe's got some recipes for us here though I would suggest to you are, are worth us listening to. So, so back to his decision. So he's engaged with the lovely lady. And we talked about this last time. This, this engagement process would have been something. He would have known who his wife was for a number of years, maybe, maybe, maybe a dozen years. It would have been something that would have been set up by their fathers or by their grandfathers. We went to Israel this past year, and we had the privilege to go into the country of Jordan. And our, we were required to have a Jordanian um, guide over there, and he was telling us about He's a, you know, a modern guy. He's got degrees and speaks several languages and a very accomplished person, has a family and everything. He said, there's a whole lot about my life that's very much like your life here in the West, but there's a whole lot about my life that's not like your life here in the West. He says, for instance, my daughter got married a couple of years ago. She, the decision of who she married was made by my father, not me. So I'm the dad. Her, her grandfather, my dad, and his grandfather were the ones that sat down and, if you will, worked out the deal. So in some ways, they're just like they've always been in the Middle East. That's the way it was. So, so Joseph's granddad and dad would have sat down with Mary's granddad and dad or great-granddad and said, hey, I've got a girl, you got a guy, what do you think? And that's how it was worked out. Now, it may seem a little bit uh, 
dry, but actually they had great marriages. Uh, you wonder today with all of our new inventions of how we do marriage and why marriages aren't working out if we couldn't involve the parents somehow uh, in that process. Just a question for us. So, so anyway, he's engaged to Mary, working hard. Remember, in order to marry her, to officially have the marriage ceremony, he has to have a job. That's really nice as a father of daughters. And he's got to have a house for her to live in. Until these two things are done, they can't have the marriage ceremony. They would have been in a process of engagement better part of a year, maybe longer. He's building a house. He's accumulating wealth so that he can take care of her. The idea is that she leaves the safety of her father's house and enters into the safety of her husband's house. Took care of ladies back then. That's a great thing. Uh, but in that process, she, of course, hears the story of what's happened to her older, much older first cousin, Elizabeth. She's pregnant. Who would have ever thought? She and her husband, Zacharias, have long since discarded, has, along with everybody else, the possibility of them having children. But by the grace of God and the power of God, she's going to have a baby. So Mary leaves to go down to uh, about 30 or 40 miles away and spends the remaining three months of her pregnancy, Elizabeth's pregnancy, down there with her husband until John is delivered. Then she comes back home. So, so of course, she's gone, and uh, Joseph is going to miss her. There's not a lot of courting, but he would see her probably every day. But all of his labor on his house and all the time he's, like I said, accumulating money so he can take care of his wife uh, is kind of makes it, makes it shorter, if we can imagine that. Then she returns to Nazareth, and things ain't the same. She's not just been three months down in there. She's also been three months pregnant, and she returns back to town. And uh, let's just say it's obvious. Verse 18, chapter 1 of Matthew. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, so this, this process of betrothal, this process of building up uh, income and, and a place for her to live, uh, been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. How do you find out that? Because after a while it gets to where a little, a little pregnant ain't little anymore. She's three months. She's a skinny little thing, 16, 17 years old, wearing a straight robe. I mean, you can, what's the baby bump? You know, what's going on? You know, I, they, they start asking questions. And I'm, not that she's necessarily hiding it, but uh, the truth comes out. And uh, not only is that unbelievable, how could she do such a thing? She's got a story. What's her story? Yeah. So she's not only an adulteress, as far as anyone is concerned, She's nuts. So you've been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Wow. That's easy to believe. And, and, and you're engaged to her. So, so what do you do with that? You know the difference between a liar and a crazy person, right? It's the same story. One of them knows that it's not the right story. The other one, they think it's true. So Mary obviously believes that this is true. He can see it in her eyes. He knows her. She believes the story that she's telling. She's not a liar. She's no good at that. But she's obviously a little touched in the head because virgins don't come up pregnant. Nobody comes up pregnant by the Holy Spirit, according to what she says. So he plans to treat her like she's lost her mind. Verse 18, look at verse 19. So Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, dis desire to put her away secretly she's 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 done something she shouldn't do but she's lost her mind in the process how can you condemn a person like that 
And so he plans to not do that because he, he feels sorry for her. And then we pick up the story of the big change here in verse 20. But when he had considered this, so notice he doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't make a quick decision. He doesn't publicly disgrace her. All these things were legal, totally legal in this culture. Expected. When he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So he even sleeps on it. How do you have done that? How well would you have done? Saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Hello. One thing crazier than a crazy story is when it turns out to be true. And she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for it will it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, and what was spoken of by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, the, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall name him, they, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated means God with us, and Joseph arose from his sleep. So I'm possibly in the middle of the night. And he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took her as his wife, and he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Wow, nothing crazier than for a crazy story to turn out to be reality, and that's exactly where Joseph finds himself. And so he turns from a man with doubts and troubles and troubled issues and problems uh, to a person now of action. And, and again, we have no words from him. But of course, actions speak louder than words, don't they? So, so you're talking about all the things you're going to do and things you're going to be for God. Where, where's the beef? Where's the actions? Sometimes when we talk about stuff, it makes us feel better because it's almost like if I'm talking about it, I'm taking a step in that direction. And, and I, I don't disagree with that. As long as the next step is actually doing what God says. <laughs> yeah, we talk about it and we talk about it some more and we talk about it some more as if somehow that's progress. It's not. It's not. You're fooling yourself. You just make yourself feel good because you're talking about obedience when in fact obedience is not a matter of words, it's a matter of what you do. Joe was a man of obedience. He was a man of action. Consider, I'm going to give you three things that he does that I would suggest to you would make your holiday season a better time. Number one, he was quick to think and pray, slow to speak and react. That will improve your holiday experience, I promise you. Quick to speak, or quick, quick to think and pray, slow to speak and react, guaranteed to improve your experience. He considered all that was before him. He slept on it. A lot better than a lot of us would have done. Your fiancé comes home pregnant. You know it's not yours. How do you handle that? Probably not well. Probably in the flesh. Joe doesn't do that. He doesn't. He considered all that was before him. He sleeps on it. He took what he knew to God, and God made the path straight for him. He, he, he you know, he, at, the, at the very least, he feels sorry for her that she's, you know, lost her mind. But he allows God to speak to him in that process. And how great a difference would it make in our lives if we could be like Joe? Just be Joe. Stop talking about stuff. Start doing stuff. Stop talking about the way it ought to be and start making sure it is the way, for, as far as you're concerned, as far as you're, what's in your power. It is the way it ought to be. Joe was quick to think. He was quick to pray, slow to speak, slow to react. 
Number two, he was quick to forgive. Uh, there's no indication here that he's angry with her. Again, amazing. I, it, just short of superhuman. In this culture, so, so this culture it would have been very, very uh, humiliating for him and for her, infuriating, extremely hurtful. Uh, but he, he doesn't let that get to him. He separates himself from expected emotions. So he's not the only one he knows. Like you said, it becomes apparent that she's pregnant. Who in, we got a town of maybe 120 people. Who doesn't know? The town is basically the size of this room. This is about all the people in Nazareth in that day. So how long does it take the word to move, especially the, the, the really juicy words? They move fast, don't they? Who doesn't know the story? So it's all on him, the, 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 the pressure uh, to react, the pressure of a decision. I mean, uh, many a man would have subjected her to public disgrace. Joseph instead chooses to forgive, uh, to love despite the pain. His initial reaction, uh, even though he doesn't, before the angel ever comes to him, he, he, he's making a good decision. He's at least taking a step in the right direction. Uh, at a place of feeling sorry for himself, he feels sorry for Mary. Again, just a little bit short of superhuman. Great guy. Great guy. Great example to follow. Whenever someone does something to you that they shouldn't have done, that isn't fair. But there is a way to make it fair. You know how that is? You can be fair to yourself. The one thing you can't do is you can't change what they did. You can't change how they hurt you. You can't change the process. You can't go back in time. In many cases, you can't change your heart. In many cases, they don't even feel bad. There's nothing you can do with that. The only thing, you can't be fair with them. There's nothing you can do. You can't change the story, but you can be fair with yourself. And here's how you can be fair with yourself. Be fair, forgiving fixes the only thing that you can fix. Forgiving. Forgiving is the only way to be fair to yourself, to forgive them, because God tells us to forgive whatever grievances we have against one another. It fixes our relationship with God. When someone offends us, we get angry, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if we hold on to that anger and we fail to forgive, even though God has forgiven us for all our sins, then there becomes a problem between me and God. So now I'm doubly mad at that person, because had they not done what they did, then I wouldn't have a problem with God, right? It just becomes this snowball effect. No, be fair to yourself. And forgive them before God. Again, do you want to have a good holiday experience? Forgiveness is a great way. Follow Joe. Do what Joe did. What a guy. What an amazing man. So, so he's quick to think, quick to play, pray, slow to react, slow to speak. He is quick to forgive. And then a third thing, he's quick to obey. Here's that such an important word. Again, we like to talk. Joe's no words. Doesn't give. I'm not saying he's a deaf mute. I'm just saying the Holy Spirit leads him kind of that way. No words for him. Just actions. Back to verse 24. Joseph arose from his sleep and did, so, did what the angel commanded him to do. So he shows up at her door with roses in a, in a ring, right? Because why? That's the thing that you do. He doesn't say, let me pray about it. He doesn't say, let me talk to my dad. He doesn't say, give me a week, give me a chance, let me think about it. He doesn't do any of that. He just simply does what he's supposed to do. That's the way it ought to be. Want to be happy during the holiday season? Do what you're supposed to do. Do what you know is to do. So, so you know what to do, but you're not doing that? Well, I can tell you what's wrong. Can you? So, so from here on, Joe, again, no words. 
But boy, is he a man of action. They're in chapter 2 there, but I'm going to put them on the screen for you, Matthew uh, 2, several places. So, so he does what the angel tells him to do by the voice of God, and he takes Mary to be his wife. So by, by the way, she's all by herself up to that point. She's a disgrace to her mom and dad. I, would you believe the mom and dad? Would you believe your little girl? I mean, you know her, but obviously virgins don't conceive, and not by the Holy Spirit. She's by herself. She really is. I don't know how long, but not her parents, obviously not Joseph, believes her. But when he does listen to the voice of the angel and does take her as his wife, her shame because becomes his shame. She comes underneath him now. And so nobody can get to Mary except they go through Joseph. And again, guys, that's the way it ought to be. From here on, Joe is a man of action. So, so he takes Mary's wife, they go down to Bethlehem, the baby's born, and then notice, he's warned that they can't stay there, because Herod, of course, is coming, and he kills all the baby boys in Bethlehem, minus Jesus. Because why? Because Joseph receives this message, and Joseph does what he's supposed to do. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night, and left for Egypt. No talking, no calling his mom, no checking, I don't know, YouTube. He just does stuff. He does whatever the thing to do is, that is what he does. Again, we're getting, I think, clear answers. Why did God pick this guy? Because he's a doer. He just does it, whatever's right. If he knows what right is, he doesn't talk about it. He doesn't pray about it because there's no prayer needed at that point. He doesn't consult anybody else. He, goes, he doesn't consult consensus. He goes straight and does what God Tells him to do. So he takes him down to Egypt and he's there for a couple of years hiding out, if you will. Starts his own business, no doubt, down there. I'm sure, uh, you know, they, no welfare checks were arriving in Egypt at that time. So he, he has to, he's a tecton, right? Which means he's a builder. He can do anything. He can work with stone. He can work with wood. He can work with mud. He can do whatever he wants to. So he starts a business down there and then boom, I'm thinking things are prospering. They're at least alive. And then boom, he gets another message from another angel saying, time to go back. So what does Joseph do? Just like he's always done. He got up. He took the child and his mother. And he came to the land of Israel. But he arrives in Bethlehem area, which is, by the way, where he had his previous business for a couple of years because they had to make, make ends meet. And he's got to wait for the, you know, the wise men to come down, which we're going to talk about the wise men. Hang on a couple Sundays for that. And after being warned, though, he's going to ha ha settle in Bethlehem. But being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came to settle in a city called Nazareth because that's what he does. This guy just needs to know whatever the right thing is to do, and that's what he does. Is that what you do? Is that what you do? You know, the consensus isn't always right. Mom and dad aren't always. I know mom and dad have your, have your best interest at heart, but sometimes mom and dad can advise you against the things that God is really interested in working with you. He's not going to your mom and dad telling them what he's telling you to do. He's not going to your girlfriend or your boyfriend, or your pastor, or your church, saying, go and tell her, these are the things. I'm not saying he can't do that, but most of the time, he wants to come straight to you. In fact, I would suggest to you, if he's not coming straight to you, it's because you ain't listening to him. So he's got to find another way. Again, you don't have to wait till an angel comes to you. But when you're, you're in a relationship with the Lord, and you're studying his word, and you feel God impressing you, what are you waiting for? Some other confirmation? You've heard it from God. Be like Joe. 
be like Job. He, what was he? He was a father. He was a husband. And he worked with his hands. And boy, does he have some lessons to teach us. I want to ask if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we think about this great person, these great people, Mary and Joseph, simple little people. Simple and yet so incredibly worth our knowledge of them, are incredibly worth our following them. Why will we follow people like this? Because they're following God. What is a leader? A leader can be anything as long as they're following God. Because I know if I'm following him, I know if I'm following her because they're following God, I'm going to arrive in the place where I need to be. Be like Joe. Slow to speak, slow to react, quick to pray. Quick to forgive, quick to change direction as God led him to. A man of action, people of action. That's what we need to be. The Bible tells us that God sent his son Jesus not just to be a baby, but from a baby to become a man, and as a man, as the son of God himself, to die and pay the price for my sins and for your sins. It tells us there's no other way to be right with God. Don't you want to be? There's no other way to be right with God except to accept Jesus as your Savior, to accept what he's done for you as the only payment, no longer counting on your religiosity, no longer counting on your good deeds, no longer counting on uh, your heritage or the kind of person that you think you are. Throwing all those things off and turning to Christ. And accepting what he's done for you. He is the Savior. You can't save yourself. Have you accepted Christ and what he's done for you? can be accomplished in a simple prayer of faith that just simply says something like this. Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to rescue me. You're, you are the Savior, but I, I, I really need you to be my Savior. Jesus, I thank you that you are the Savior. Ultimately, it's you that we follow the Marys and Josephs in this world who set great examples or are certainly road signs for us. And we need to heed their, uh, their sage advice. Thank you so much, God, that we can worship you. Thank you for this great season that we have to remember uh, the, the coming of your son to become one of us so that he could die for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.